Hello and welcome to Newsmakers on CHCH Podcast for this Wednesday, January 24th, 2024. And on today's show, I'm very pleased to once again be joined by political commentator Keith Leslie. Keith, let's jump right into it. Uh, If Doug Ford's New Year's resolution was to leave the green belt behind him, uh, that has failed. Uh, Toronto Star first to report this week about the existence of an internal email that claims the Premier's office knew about green belt land swap deal earlier than they claimed. Our people over this is it going anywhere it's not going away and of course the main reason it's not going away is because the rcmp are still investigating in the background premier ford obviously hoped as did his entire government that when at the end of september he announced okay look we're backing off on that 7400 acres that we've taken out of the green belt we're putting them back in we're going to protect them i'm sorry i shouldn't have done that but he always maintained the premier did that he never knew about these particular lands that were selected until basically a week before it got to cabinet Well, that's why we're getting into the weeds here, but it's important to know because basically these latest emails that were uncovered by Rob Benzie at the Toronto Star uh, and through the NDP Freedom of Information, they found that basically people were talking in the Premier's office and the Housing Minister's Chief of Staff and the Premier's Principal Secretary were talking about these specific lands weeks, maybe months before the Premier told us that his office was involved in this. The whole point being that, you know, the the, the, the government is saying that this former chief of staff, the housing minister, Ryan Amato, has since resigned from government, that he picked 14 of these 15 lands, and it was all on him, and the government had really no input. And the more and more we hear about this, it appears that the housing minister's office and the premier's office absolutely had not only had input, there was meetings going on behind the scenes. We heard about, you know, a former principal secretary of the premier uh, going to Vegas with some of these developers and some of these other staffers. It's all tied up too much. It still smells to high heaven, quite frankly. So even though the premier backed down and the lands are back into the green belt, there's still an awful lot of problems with this whole file, including the fact that some of these developers that stood to make like $8.3 billion are fighting back in the government now. They want those lands taken out of the green belt again. So the government can't win for trying on this one because they screwed up badly in the first place. Well, you've mentioned that, and and I do want to bring it up because the Trillium has a recent report here that highlights some of those lands. Some are in Grimsby. There's quite a few here in Hamilton. Uh, How how does Doug Ford move past the green belt? Can he? I mean, we mentioned the RCMP investigation that's going on in the background. Marit's Styles has made it very clear, you know, with this freedom of information request, she's not going to drop it anytime soon. Uh, how can he try to move on if you were giving him any advice? Well, I guess you could try and distract us by, say, giving a sole source contract for service Ontario centers to <laughs> we'll get Staples, do an American business. Company. But that's it. Like, literally, we thought that the, the new year would bring a quieter government, more thoughtful government, showing us some new ideas going forward. And as you say, trying to put that green belt behind them as much as they can, at least until the RCMP finishes its investigation. But what we have now is the NDP has requested that the Auditor General look into this latest memo, that look into the timing of this. Did people lie to the Auditor General? Did they lie to the Integrity Commissioner? Remember, it was reports from these two, those two officers of the legislature that prompted the government to finally admit it had to put those lands back into the green belt. So all of this is just hanging. It's a millstone around the neck of, of Doug Ford and the PC party. It's not going away anytime soon because all these questions remain to be answered. And every day, it seems, or every week, we hear of new ties between high-level operatives in the Premier's office, in the Housing Minister's office, and developers. So these ties are far, far too tight. And remember, we've still got all that stuff going back. I mean, there's still jokes about you know, the Premier using the, his daughter's stag and doe as a fundraiser uh, with the developer, the, 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 the PC party's fundraiser, selling tickets to developers at 150 bucks a head. All of this, all of this still stinks to high heaven, and, and I'm afraid it's not going to go away anytime soon for the Ford government.
And of course, there is a, a brand new Auditor General, Shelley Spence, and we'll see how she wants to make her mark and, and how she wants to attack this. Because, you know, it's not just this. We also had the uh, the Green Party. We had uh, uh, Mr. Schreiner on here last week. He was asking for a dollar-for-dollar dollar audit on uh, on one of those deals that you mentioned. Let's talk about that. The Service Ontario sole-sourced contract. What do you make of this? And, and it, optically, it doesn't look good, does it? No, it, it seems from a communication point of view and from a stand, just a political standpoint, what we have, you know, the government's position is, you know, it wants to increase the hours for service Ontario that nine to five doesn't cut it for a lot of people. And that may be true. But what we have here is private contractors. This, this is not, you know, government employees. These are private businesses, small business operators that have been operating these service Ontario centers. The one in St. Catharines for up to, I think it was 18 years. Hmm. And they got a letter in November saying, you're out of business as of January 31st because we're giving this to Staples, uh, a U.S.-based hedge fund-run, heavily debt-ridden company, uh, and we're going to pay to put the kiosks in those stores, we're going to pay to construct them, uh, all that sort of thing. It does make sense to some degree from a government point of view, or any retailer's point of view, down to downsize your retail footprint while also expanding your, your hours of operation the service available to people. But it's the question of awarding it as a sole source contract. No one else had heard about this. No one had a bid on it. And all of a sudden, Staples is getting 11 of these formerly private-run stores or, or Service Ontario outlets now going to Staples. Two are going to go to Walmart, but they're still going to be operated apparently by the small operator that operates them now. So it's a very confusing situation. And the Premier is trying to make it look, you know, he, he basically crapped all over the reporter, Richard Southern from City News, who broke this story, saying, well, you know, the details aren't right. But he never once addressed why it was a sole source contract. That just stinks to high heaven. And now we hear today, we've heard of this before, but we actually saw a copy of the letter today. Mm -hmm. The government sent these operators, please don't talk to the media. Whatever you do, hand them, you know, refer them to our uh, media personnel and they'll talk to you. So here's what you say to a reporter. Just say, I can't talk to you. We'll have to refer you here, get their name, their ad address, their, their deadline, all this sort of stuff. Why would people who are being put out of government, out of business by the government, agree to a government gag order and why does the government need to put a gag order on these people about this? They're, they're being put out of business. They're going to talk, and we've already seen some of them are. Yeah, we saw the one in uh, the Welland Tribune last week. Uh, they were talking, and yeah, I have the letter here in front of me. It's an appendix. Service Ontario Media Protocol. Step one, politely decline to answer the reporter's <laughs> journalist question. Politely. So you got to be polite about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this, again, you know, like I said, we had Mr. Schreiner on here last week, the Green Party uh, leader here in Ontario, talking about that. Do you think... This is going to, to hurt Ford at all. I mean, he can say we're going to save a million dollars, you know, more convenience. Is this going to hurt him or is this something he can be, he's going to be able to move past? Oh, I think in the long run, he'll be able to move past this. I mean, it's just, as I say, it's the whole idea of this sole source contract. What, couldn't Canadian Tire have bid on it? I know they're all individually owned. Couldn't someone else have bid on it? You know, their the rationale, first of all, saving a million dollars in government programs, that's pretty small change. That's really small money, a million dollars, and they haven't even said over how many years. So it's not that. Expanding the hours, okay. They've got big parking lots at Staples. They said, well, yes, so do quite a few other big box stores. And remember, this government always seems to be favoring the big corporations over the small guy. Remember during the pandemic, who was allowed to stay open? The big box stores, not the little people, not the small business operators. So again, it just... It doesn't play well to the whole Tory brand. You're putting small business operators out of business to give it to a big American-run company. I don't understand why, and I suspect there's going to be more. This is only 11 of the outlets, and then the two others that are going into the Walmart stores. There's going to be more. I think when the government announcement comes, and it's expected later this week or next, 
it's going to be more and more stores. I don't know if it's all staples, but there's going to be more of these uh, service Ontario outlets privatized to another company or to a bigger, bigger, bigger company. Um, I go back to, let's go back to the Auditor General because the Ontario Liberals are asking the Auditor General to investigate the use of temporary nursing agencies. So we've heard a lot about this. I've covered stories. I've covered, you know, protests and, and walkouts and all of that of, of nurses at hospitals who are saying we are burnt out. We are underpaid. But we have a lot of colleagues who are going to these private nursing clinics who are making three times much as much as they are. And they can be justified by saying, well, these nurses are so tired. Uh, the health care issue. Uh, we've heard uh, Marit Stiles wanting to use it. Now it looks like Bonnie Crombie's going to go after it. How vulnerable are the Ontario provincial conservatives uh, on this topic? Well, it's such a broad topic. I think a lot of people are very concerned about their privatization efforts, bringing, you know, private surgical clinics are coming in. But again, if you're on a waiting list for one of those needed operations, you know, hip, knee, thighs, and whatever you, you actually need to have repaired, if you're on a long waiting list and they're, you know, they're telling you you're going to go to a private clinic, but it'll, you know, won't cost you anything extra, that's, that's a good thing in many people's minds. Although a lot of people, and I, I happen to be one of them, think that the Canada Health Act should be supreme. If we've got surgical suites in hospitals, sitting empty most of the time and we do why are we funding you know new surgical clinics being built privately and then they charge as you say two to three times as much for the same procedures four times as much even agency nurses is a huge issue apparently these companies which as you say charge the hospitals two to three or even four times up north is apparently five or six times uh what they pay for their own staff nurses these agency nurses get paid so much more and apparently they recruit by staying in the hospital parking lots and waiting till these nurses come out after a 12-hour shift exhausted and say, how'd you like a job with, you know, better hours, better pay, no weekends, no overnight, you know, all these sorts of things. You can't blame a nurse for going to the private sector if it's there and it can pay them that much better and give them a better quality of life. The government, you know, it seems to be is not putting the money it needs to. There's reports that there's like $2 billion short in the health care funding. Why is that money not flowing? And is it not flowing? We need to get more nurses hired. Obviously, the agency nurses thing, it's just unaffordable. Hospitals are now borrowing money from the big banks to pay the agency nurses and to pay the wage freeze. Remember the 1% wage freeze that the, the government imposed? Well, the arbitrators have all awarded, you know, much higher rewards for that going back. So now the hospitals are literally having to borrow money from the banks. They're not allowed to run deficits to pay these two things. The government needs to flow much more money through to the healthcare system. That's how we'll get more nurses in the hospital beds. Once we get the hospital beds open and staffed by nurses, then the emergency departments have more room to move people into those beds when they need to. And then we stop having not just hallway healthcare. We've got uh, garage bay, mechanic bay healthcare. I mean, they're literally in the ambulance bays out there stacked up outside because no one can get in to treat them. The government is very, very vulnerable, I think, on the healthcare file. But if we're just seeing profits being taken out and no real benefit to the overall healthcare system, I think that's going to be a huge issue for them. As I say, people on waiting lists for surgeries, they're glad to see them come quickly. But then why are we paying so much more and why are we not just funding the surgeries to be done in our hospitals when we know the surgical suites are empty? Well, and, you know, we've we've talked a lot about this area, about emergency room closures, you know, up in Norfolk, uh, Suffolk. They've had, you know, a lot of issues where, you know, uh, they'd close at, at 7 p.m. and be closed for a couple of days over, over Christmas and New Year's. Uh, we've had urgent care hours cr uh, closed in uh, Port Colborne and Fort Erie, just down the road from us here. Uh, I, again, it, it, I, th I think health care is going to be one of those topics that we see you know, MPP styles go after. We see Bonnie Crombie go after as well. And speaking of Bonnie Crombie, I had 
had her on the show last week as well. And, uh, you know, she's in an interesting spot. You know, she's, she's not a sitting MPP, uh, but she's the leader of the Ontario Liberals and she's tasked with bringing the Liberals back into relevancy. Uh, how does she go about doing that, Keith? Well, I think she's well on her way. And it started with, you know, raising a million dollars in the day in December. She set out this really ambitious fundraising goal, and she said it. And I'm sorry, but it comes right down to that in the end. You win elections with money. And the Liberals, are, of course, they're, they're not in debt anymore. So any money she raises now, they can put towards their campaign war chest. And the, the Conservatives are, of course, far, far ahead of them in the fundraising game. They're, they're a way better position financially. So the Liberals, they need to get a lot more money in their, their war chest. And Bonnie Crombie, I think, as well, is out working the province. She's going out. She's going to be doing those church hall meetings and those small basements and all that sort of stuff, meeting with Liberals and firing them up, getting them ready for that next election and saying, you know, look, forget about the NDP. We're the opposition in waiting. We could be the government in waiting if we get our act together and get enough people motivated out and vote. I think Crombie is, you know, she's the leader that the Liberals are looking for. They need someone who's going to fire them up. And not being in the legislature is not going to hurt her that much because, quite frankly, everyone knows, you know, question period's a bit of a theater show. And afterwards, everyone gets a quick comment or whatever, you know. So what? Going out and meeting people face to face, showing them that you're someone that they want to vote for, that they want to support. That will do her much better, I think, than actually being in the legislature and, you know, trying to throw a few questions at Doug Ford, who, quite frankly, is really there and never answers them anyway. <laughs> now, if, if we're looking ahead to, you know, 2026, the next provincial election, what would a win look like for, for Bonnie Crombie? Would it be picking up a couple of seats in, a, in, in by-elections that may or may not happen? Would it, like, what would a successful 2024 look like? You mentioned the fundraising numbers. They, they're touting that. Uh, the NDP were quick to tout their own fundraising numbers as well. But it, what would Bonnie Crombie look back on 12 months from now and say, you know, that was a good first year as leader? Well, on their way into that election, I mean, if they can get even, you know, anywhere close to official party status, uh, get, you know, pick up a couple of by-election wins, that would be really good for them, give them a little bit of momentum. When it comes to that 2026 election, though, they've got to really just, you know, knock the NDP right off that opposition perch and go to be at least the official opposition. If not, Doug Ford, if he stays on, is going for his third term. Three-term governments rarely get re-elected. People are ready to toss them out at that point. So Bonnie Crombie could have a real shot at becoming premier if the Liberals do the work, set the right policies, and don't try to be everything to everyone, but actually set some firm policies that people can get behind and vote for, and don't just say, you know, we're not Doug Ford. Well, neither are the NDP. You have to have something else to offer people. Now, how do you think they go about getting seats from... They're going to need some PC seats, that's clear. You know, there's, there's... I think the GTA is entirely blue, basically. So on top of taking away PC seats, how will they bite into that kind of the left-leaning orange of the NDP to try and bring them over to red? Well, it seems... It, that's a tougher fight, it seems, these days, that a lot of the NDP, when they lose votes and lose seats, they seem to lose them to the Conservatives. People yeah. were just bypassing the Liberals completely for the last couple of elections. So they have to get themselves, insert themselves back in there and show them that, you know, NDP voters should never be voting NDP or, or voting for the PCs. Hmm. If you, you aren't happy with your NDP candidate or if you think they're, you know, they're too far to the left, the Liberals are your happy centre. We're your medium, you know, your medium ground that they've always had. Uh, I think it was David Peterson once said, yeah, well, Liberals, we get on the middle of the road, get on that centre line and kick everyone else off it. <laughs> and that's essentially what the goal is for the Liberals, because Ontario is very much a middle of the road province. I mean, you know, we tried the Bob Ray NDP thing once. I don't think they're doing that. It's like Mr. Christie. They're not going to do that again. So they're going to, you know, I think it's between the Liberals and the Conservatives for the next election in 2026 if Crombie can develop the momentum between now and the election date. 
Yeah, it'll be a very interesting couple of years here in Ontario politics. I just want to talk to you uh, real quick about uh, budgets. We see a lot of uh, municipalities going over their budgets, and uh, the stories that we've seen, a lot of them are putting it on the province, saying we've had you know all this downloaded onto us from the province. Uh, you know, the Hamilton Council is saying that you know it would be this much if if the if the province was just stick to what they had previously um, given us. Is it time for these upper tier governments, whether it's provincial or federal? to be bailing out, maybe that's not the right term, but bailing out municipalities at this point where we see property taxes of of 8%, 9%, 10%? Well, I think the other municipalities in Ontario, the 444 that aren't Toronto, absolutely are looking for the same sort of deal Toronto got. And the municipalities are creatures of the province, not the federal government. So they should get help from the feds when it comes to immigration issues and people coming in, you know, homeless, we can't shelter them, that sort of thing. But most of these issues are provincial issues. Doug Ford and the PCs need to strike a better deal with municipalities and get them right. A lot of it is, you know, those lost development fees from that that crazy housing plan that that they've set set themselves back almost two years at this point. The municipalities need those monies. They need the, the funds up front, and they, they can't afford to do anything at this point. And trying to offer voters 8 and 10% uh, tax increases is just a recipe to get your bum kicked out of office in the next election. People can't tolerate that. Food prices, gasoline, everything is so high. I know uh, StatsCan says it's coming down the Bank of Canada hold it. It's still really, really ridiculous high, ridiculously high cost of living for most people. So the government has to address that and address it somehow squarely on. Uh, just nibbling around the edges isn't going to do it. Well, because they're asking, you know, province is asking municipalities, you know, these big city mayor powers, you make the budget. Uh, you know, if you're the mayor, you can override things. You can veto things. Uh, they're asking, you know, build more houses. It's been a long time since we've heard 1.5 million homes uh, from, from Premier Doug Ford. How does he get back on track with that messaging? You know, try, we talked about putting the green belt behind him, but his messaging has been 1.5 million homes for the last 12 months, it seems. How does he get back to that messaging? And more Importantly, how does he plan on getting these houses built, do you think? Well, he needs to give the municipalities, uh, and they've made this point to him, and I think it's finally sinking in with the provincial government, that they don't control the housing starts. The developers do. So they can't meet those targets to get that special fund he set up. If you meet 80% of your housing target fund, we'll give you a bunch of money. Some municipalities qualified. Most did not. So the province is rethinking that whole program. No, they have to get that money out to municipalities without making them jump through hoops for it because they aren't in control of when developers put the shovels in the ground. They may approve the permits, but that doesn't mean the development's going to start next week, next month, or even next year in many cases. So the government... How it's going to get its housing targets back on strike? We already knew it was way ambitious. They're basically trying to build twice as many homes every year for the next 10 years than we've ever built in one year. And in the first year, year and a half, they're way behind the the eight ball. They're, they're way behind targets because of their own ineptitude on their whole housing program, the green belt. All of that just set everything so far back. And now their ministerial zoning orders, which were supposed to, you know, speed up the process and you know, administer exempts local planning to override them and, and, and allow a development to go ahead. It turns out most of those ministerial zoning orders that they handed out like candy didn't result in anything being built. So the province has really messed up its housing strategy big time in all of this. And they get it back on track and get 150,000 houses built a year I think at this point is a pipe dream. 
Well, I, I think, you know, we've had a lot of announcements locally about uh, the Housing Accelerator Fund from the federal government. Mm-hmm. Um, how much do you think the Ford government in the next year or year and a bit will use the unpopularity of the federal liberals in, in building themselves up or, or blaming their problems on, on Justin Trudeau? Do you, do you get the sense that that could be a working strategy for the conservatives considering just how unpopular Justin Trudeau is right now? Oh, they're going to try it for sure, and they're going to blame the Bank of Canada's high interest rates and the federal liberal government, as you say. But you know what's making some interesting uh, developments for the federal government? is Housing Minister Sean Fraser making these one-off deals with each municipality. Those are direct money to the municipalities for housing, something Doug Ford is not doing. So you're seeing a lot of municipalities actually jumping on board with the Fed, saying thank you. So while I still think they're doomed in the next federal election, uh, they are making some great inroads on this really difficult, difficult file of housing. So if they can do that, why can't the Ford government do that? That's going to be the question most people are asking. But of course, absolutely, Doug Ford and the PCs are going to campaign hard against Trudeau and the Liberals, as both uh, the Liberals and, and, and Trudeau did against Doug Ford. They'll do it again with each other. And then afterwards, if they have to play nice and do government agreements, they will do that too. We'll see. It should be an interesting 12 months, 24 months, 36 months. Uh, Keith, really appreciate your insights as always. Thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. That is Keith Leslie, political commentator. My thanks to him for making the time today. And my thanks to you as well for joining us here on Newsmakers on CHCH Podcast. And remember, you can like and subscribe to Newsmakers and CHCH Podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on YouTube, or you can go to chch.com slash podcast. And uh, by the way, special shout out uh, to uh, Bubba O'Neill, who launched his brand new Sportsline podcast, and that is also available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. My thanks to Mike Corson for directing today's show, and my thanks to you as well for joining us. From all of us here at CHCH, I'm Louis Butko. Have a great day.